All right, thank you so much, Esther. Well, welcome everybody, good morning. It's good to be here, good to be able to share God's word. Um, it's what God has had me do all of these years, even though it's been kind of doing inner city ministry, but the love that I have is basically uh, to share God's word with everybody and to uh, just enjoy God using me in those kinds of ways. And so uh, today I have the privilege of sharing some word with you, and so I'm excited to do that. Uh, we're looking at a passage uh, from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, uh, verses 31 through the end of that piece, which is 46. Uh, and then the NIV is what I'll read from. I think it's behind me in the same version, but I'll read from the NIV here for my, my version of NIV, which might be a little older uh, version. When the Son of Man in his glory and all the angels with him comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for the opportunity for us to gather together as saints, as Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to receive from you, Father, uh, to worship you, Lord, uh, but to be nurtured by you as you do, Father. When we're gathered, your presence is with us. As you say, we're two or three are gathered. There I am in the midst of you. And so, Father, thank you for your presence, and I pray that you will encourage us, strengthen us, challenge us, and sharpen us, Lord, with your word today. I pray, Father, that uh, my words will become your words and yours mine. As your word said, if anyone's going to teach, let them teach the words of God. And I pray that my brothers and sisters will take with them only the things that your Holy Spirit wants to teach them today. And I pray they forget the things that come from me, from the flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is a, a little bit of a strong teaching, uh, but I think sometimes if we look at the Gospels, 
Jesus has a lot of strong teachings. If we really take it to heart, we're like, oh, Jesus floored us with that one. Oh, he cut my heart with that one. What? Uh, but that's just our Lord. He really wants to work. As, if, as many folks will say, it's a surgeon looking at you and saying, there's a cancer in you. There's bad things in here. There's sin in here. And I want to get that out. So I need to get in there. And I need to cut that out. Though it may hurt to get that the little scalpel in you and, and go through the recovery and the, the stitches and all of that stuff. In the end, I've done great things for you and for your life. And so it is that Jesus teaches us uh, many things that just kind of like really get in there as a surgeon would do. Dr. Tony Campolo, he's a professor, a Christian professor and sociologist at Eastern College. He once gave this talk about how messed up our values have become as Christians. He was at a camp conference. Uh, it was multiple day, huge Christian conference up in the mountains. Uh, and this was his second day, so they taught the night before. Everyone went to bed. This is his morning session, and this is how he began. There are 40 million dogs in the United States. 76% of them are overweight. They're fat dogs. 10,000 children die each night of starvation in our world. What do you think God has to say to a society that overfeeds its dogs and allows 10,000 children a day to starve to death. Last night, 10,000 children died of starvation while we were bed in this camp. And you know what? Most of us don't give a damn. And you know what? You are probably more upset with the fact that I said damn than the fact that 10,000 children starved to death last night. And that's what's messed up about cultural Christianity in America today. Those words cut really deep uh, for us to really consider sometimes our values in our country. Uh, they've just really become a little bit off sometimes, that we're really sometimes are more concerned about dogs and animals than we are about those that are made in the image of God. Matthew kind of brings us back in here. Now, this passage, uh, don't get us wrong, don't get the Lord wrong or the scriptures wrong. This is not a passage about works. Jesus is, is teaching this just a little bit before going off to the cross and then his resurrection. So he's not saying, hey, if you guys just kind of go through these steps, if you feed someone who's hungry and give something to, to drink to someone who's thirsty, you don't have to worry about me and the cross. <laughs> you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, my death and the resurrection. Ah, you got it. You're in the kingdom. Just do those things in A, B, C, D. There's six of them. You're good. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is actually saying, and we're recapping things to say, God has always been concerned about the poor. From the beginning of the scriptures in the Old Testament all the way to here, Matthew 25 and beyond into the epistles, the Lord is concerned about the poor and has a charge for the Israelites and a charge for us as a church and as Christians to have the same concern because that's the heart of God. And so as the heart of God, if we're to be Christ-like, that we need to have our hearts aligned with the heart of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, if you are going to walk with me, the Holy Spirit will work into you, not only the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit that will come from your life is going to be that your heart will be aligned with my heart, and I'm concerned about those that are in need. Therefore, you should also naturally be concerned, because the Holy Spirit will develop that concern as you draw nearer to me. It's also a recap of Jesus saying earlier uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat. You don't need to worry about what you're going to drink. And you don't need to worry about the clothes that you're going to wear. Because you know why? Because your Heavenly Father knows that you need those things. Jesus is already saying, if there's a lack of those things around you, don't worry about it. Your Father knows you need them. He's going to make sure that there's provision taking care of that. 
But an interesting part about that is us as Christians, as a church, he gives a charge for us to go and do those things on his behalf. That's a God that says, I involve my people to take care of the responsibilities of what my heart is moved to do amongst the masses of this world. And so it is, Jesus starts in on Matthew 25, and we're going to just take a look at each one of those, okay? So he starts off with, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, or you didn't give me something to eat. So let's take a look at that. So in the basicness of our lives, is if we have food, and we have money to buy food, and we see somebody that needs some food, someone who's a little hungry, what is our heart's response to that is what Jesus is saying. Is our heart's response of, this is my food, I bought it with my money, I'm going to eat this meal, go get your own food, and go get your own money to take care of the needs that you have. Go find a job. Or is your heart's response of, I really need to share this because I have food and I have money to buy more food. So you know what this person needs? Like they, they look like they need something to eat, so I'm going to provide for them and so forth. I've done a lot. To, unfortunately, there's a jack-in-the-box that's really close to where we're at in our church. And so I, do, I did way too many uh, drive-throughs at jack-in-the-box, especially in my younger years. I think it's kind of showing the fast food stuff in there. It's convenient. Get in the car, you go through the drive-thru. And there's always somebody sitting... <laughs> outside and there's one particular time where there was a guy sitting there and he wasn't asking for money he was just asking at the end of the drive-thru can somebody just give me a taco <laughs> just something to eat and I already ordered you know how you order further back and then you get to the window and so when I got to the window I got the food and I paid for that and then he's past the window of the drive-thru so I looked at him and said here just take this and I gave him the bag of food and the drink that I had just ordered because in my mind and my heart is, I just go back through the drive-thru again. So I handed it to him, drove back around Jack in the Box, and got back in line. That's what Jesus is saying. Really? You can't give somebody something to eat? Really? Something so basic. If you know you have money, you have a car, you're driving through a drive-thru, you have. Uh, can you not share your meal and just go back and get another round? You have the money to do that. But where is your heart? Is your heart saying, uh-uh, this is my money, my food. I don't share that with anybody. Or do you just gracefully say, this is a person in need, and the Lord says to give, freely give, but my heart also is in that place. It is about the heart that we have. Jesus, when teaching a crowd of 5,000 folks in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 38, he was actually teaching them for a while, then he pulled his disciples back away, and they followed Jesus. They were so hungry for the word, they followed him to the other side. And Jesus came and, teach, and taught some more, and he realized you know, that these folks have been here and following me for a long, long time, and they're hungry, and they need something to eat. Because his heart, it says in the scripture, was filled with compassion for them. So he told the disciples, and their response is, well, it's too many of them. Do you know how much money it would cost to feed this crowd? 5,000 men, probably you know, quite a few thousand women, children. So who knows the volume of the actual total? It was a huge crowd. That'd be a lot of money. We don't have that money. We do, but we're not going to waste that money. We're not going to use that money to feed this crowd. Jesus, tell them to go and find some food in the town. Tell them to go get their own food. Go use their own money to feed themselves, even though they're hungry and they've been following you. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. 
And even if the provision wasn't there, even though it was, the Lord said, give me the loaves and the fish that you have. I will bless them, and I will multiply them through to feed this entire crowd. It's not a problem for me to provide for you to be able to provide for others who are in need of something to eat. My heart says I move with compassion. They need to eat. I'm going to feed them, but I use you, my disciples, to go do that task. You feed them, he said. Get them into groups of 50. Here's the baskets. Go and feed that crowd. I love that passage. I teach a lot on that passage. I love teaching on that passage. It's just a real fast aside. It's kind of like, I always wondered, like, how did that happen? Like, did, did they have the baskets and then they, they handed the bread or broke the bread and handed it to somebody and then the bread just grew? And then they broke a piece, and then they're like, let's just break this faster and see that bread growing and growing, and it's just this endless piece of bread. It just keeps growing every time I break a piece off. Or did they just kind of like from the bottom of the basket, it just kept percolating up, percolating up, percolating up. Like, I just want to throw this basket and see if it just continuously flows out of this basket into the crowd. This is crazy, Jesus. You know, I would love to see Jesus do some of these miracles. I think that's just me. I'm a little crazy kind of a person. I, would just, I always think of it in a different way when I look at certain passages. This is not just about the homeless, if you can get that. There is definitely the homeless, and there's a need amongst the homeless. But here in Los Angeles, there are hundreds of thousands of families in urban communities who also have needs, and they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and they have needs as well. And so, so it is it's a bigger and broader range and opportunities for us as Christians to serve those. And I was uh, a student at UC Irvine, so I went to UCI and I graduated from UC Irvine. Uh, I graduated with two degrees. Uh, I don't know why, but I graduated two degrees in five years, biological sciences and mechanical engineering. I don't recommend that you guys do that. Uh, and, then, um, and then God called me to the inner city to deal with, uh, oh, I can't even open this bottle. Here, let me open this. Need a little drink. There we go. Okay. Uh, and so uh, in one of my classes, one of the bio classes, there was a professor and he was teaching uh, about what would be the capacity of, of uh, volume of people in the world. What would determine that capacity number and approximately what would that number be? Would it be a heat dissipation, meaning there's so many people on the earth and because we're together and our bodies are so hot, we just create such a huge heat wave into the earth that we can no longer have any more people and that will determine the, the capacity of, uh, of population on the earth? Uh, would it be that uh, space, you know, we fill all of the ground and then he went through and calculated in the ocean, we can have all these homes in the ocean and towers and all of this stuff. And he goes, nope, that's not gonna be it because that's a huge number. Then he got to protein, to food. He said, uh, would it be a thing of not enough food, that we could not generate enough food to feed everybody in the world? And so to my surprise, he started breaking it through. He said, here is the population of the world today. And I will calculate for you this volume. This is the number I calculated that says the amount of nutrition and protein that folks need to have every day uh, if, is a certain num number of grams. And when I multiply that by the population of the world, this is how many kilogram tonnage that we have. Uh, and so he said, so now let's take a look and see if we can match that or will that be the limiting factor? He said, let me take the United States of America, one country out of this world, and I'm going to take one protein source, fish. And this is not all the fish in the ocean. This is just the fish that one country, the United States, catches and then serves to the population of the U.S. And this is just saying if I cut the heads off and the tails off and all of the parts of those fish that we don't eat, that we discard... I've already matched the kilotonnage 
of all the, the protein needed for the entire world. He says, so basically saying from the waste product of one protein source, not cows, pigs, beans, and all of those other proteins, just fish and only the fish pieces we don't eat. And if we talk about that waste of one country, the United States, if we packed it and put it in cans and send it to the rest of the world on a daily basis, everybody would have all the nutrition that they need in this world. Now, as a Christian, I looked at that and thought, that's amazing because how much God has actually put into our earth that he says that you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need that because this is not all the fish in the ocean. This is just a piece that we throw up for one country. And so there's a ton of food available in the world. So I got up and I asked the, uh, the, the professor, you know, I was just kind of bold in those days, uh, 250 folks in, the, in this huge class, and then I asked him, but then if that's true, why is there starvation? You know the usual question, why are people starving in the world? And he goes, oh, that's easy, greed. Because we are greedy. Because we're a people that don't care about other folks. We could do this, but it costs us money. We have the ability to pack all that, granulate that, pack it, and send it off into ships all over the world and feed the world. But we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that because it's a lot of money. And we don't care to do that. And I thought, wait, is this professor a Christian? I mean, he's really like you know, hitting me here just like Jesus hits us. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat or you didn't give me anything to eat. During the pandemic, uh, one of the things that happened, obviously, was on the level of the homeless. I don't know if you understand it, but the homeless in Los Angeles area started hitting points of starvation. They were hitting points of starvation because everybody was staying in their homes. If everybody's staying in your homes and isolating, there's no one in the streets randomly walking. There's no one in the streets to hand money to the homeless folks when they ask for it. And there's nobody in the streets to hand them some food or a bag of food or any kind of groceries of any kind. So they found that well, the, the folks are, are starving in the streets. So the city was asking folks. And this is the sad part. Jesus is saying, you as Christians, us as Christians, us as a church, we should be the ones responsible and caring about those that are hungry and making sure that we feed them. But the city had to come in and say, well, the city will take the risk and take care of all of this. They created a team of folks that would receive food donations and take those and literally drive around the communities in the urban communities, stop and, and give food out to the homeless that was given to them to give out. When I heard about this from our councilman, I met with our youth and I said, you know, we have money for retreats and things and we're not obviously going to do those because we have to stay home. It's a stay home mandate. We're not doing retreats, but there's still the budget for that. And there's homeless folks starving in our communities. What are we going to do about that? And our teens, who are not Christians, some are, a lot weren't, uh, leaders said, why don't we take that money then and let's, let's just buy some food and give it to that team from the city and let them give it to the, to the homeless. And I said, exactly, that's what, that's what I was looking for you to say. Uh, and so there was also this, uh, this owner of a store, a kind of a burger joint in Lincoln Heights. His heart, he's not a Christian, but his heart is he gives. He provides food for us for our events. He gives food to the neighborhood, burgers, free food, all of his stuff, because that's his heart. I make my money, but I also give back. And we didn't want him to shut down because he was hurting because no one's going to buy food anymore. Uh, and so we went to him and said, we're going to buy 150 burgers at your price. Don't discount it and don't give it to us free. 
Our intent is to have money go to you to keep your business going because you're a blessing to this neighborhood. We don't want you to disappear. And then we're taking the burgers. We'll give it to the city. And those that team will come and distribute those burgers to the homeless. And he's a fantastic. He was blessed by that. We did a second round because the city then set up a food pantry. And so we got some more burgers, bought those at full cost, gave it to uh, the city food pantry so they could give those out to the families to take home and to eat. And, and then what we did is we said, okay, that's, that's some use of our funds. Uh, let's start food pantries on our own. So we started food pantries in partnership with another church uh, and then on our own. And again, we just saying, well, we have money that we're not using because our programs are at a standstill, but let's start to do food pantries. And so we did food pantries. We've done 12 food pantries in total. We've given out 3,000, over 3,200 grocery bags, full grocery bags to our community families throughout the pandemic year. And I got my teens involved in doing that safely with all the gear on so that they learn, though that they're urban poor, that they can and should be taking care of folks in their communities and their neighbors. And so they're the ones that are doing the drive up and walking and putting the trunks. They're the ones in the walk up and giving the bags of groceries out to all of the family. And some of those, their family members are lined up to get it a little bit humbling for them because they're sitting there saying, <laughs> that's my mom, that was my dad, you know, in line getting groceries, but hey, if we're giving groceries away, hey, our family needs it too. One of the hardest things about the pandemic was that the folks that we work with in the urban communities, uh, they don't have the opportunity to do virtual work. They can't zoom in because they're handymen. They're folks that just are busy taking care of plumbing, construction, all of these things that they can find. They're day workers, a lot of them. So when you shut the city down and people have everybody you know, staying at home, there's no work for them, which means there's no money for them. At the same time, the school's closed. Two meals a day times five days are provided for their children through the schools. So now we have families. The first thing that came to us is this is going to be a disaster for our families, and it was. If the schools are not feeding the kids, if you have four or five kids, and I now have them at home, two meals times five days, 10 meals per kid times four or five, so 20, 30 meals more that I have to buy food for to feed my kids because the schools are no longer gonna do that. And when I times that by four weeks in a month, how in the world would I am no longer working and I'm not documented and I can't get the state money and all of this extra, oh, funds and trillions coming up from Congress, that's not available to me and I can't work, and now all the kids are home, and I have to feed them. We are hungry, and we need somebody to feed us. And praise God that the schools, after a while, probably because the pressure was, we're, getting, we're accumulating so much food, we got to get this out of here, uh, started to open up and say, you can come and walk up and drive up and get the food at the schools. But that was another reason behind why we went ahead and started doing food pantries. We knew uh, that our uh, folks needed to eat. And one last thing on the food part, uh, here's just another one that kind of works on your heart. I went to, we do field trips all the time for our kids. We went to the Natural History Museum uh, for one field trip. Uh, and I always eat beforehand because I have to run around. I'm taking care of the buses and getting the kids to the right place. They sit down, they have sack lunches, they're eating. I got to run into the museum and take care of the paperwork, uh, pay and all that stuff, come back out, make sure my staff are briefed and they know what they're doing. Uh, so they did all that. And that's why I eat ahead of time because I don't have time to eat while I'm there. And I sat down with, the, with some of the kids, and they looked and they said, Dennis doesn't have any food. And they started breaking their sandwiches in half, and they started bringing their chips, and they started bringing drinks. And I'm like, no, no, I, I ate already. No, truthfully, I, no, 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 you don't have food. We have to share our lunches with you. 
And I'm thinking, these kids aren't Christians, but they understand the concept of you're hungry. We think you're hungry. I ate already. They don't understand that part. But we think that you need food, and we're going to split our sandwiches in half and our tortas in half and our chips and everything, and we're piling it into Dennis. He needs to eat. And I thought, wow, that works my heart because that's all Jesus is saying is you, you, you just need to have that heart, the heart that you see someone who needs food and you have sandwiches, you, you can't rip it in half. That's you, you can't cut a sandwich in half and share that with somebody. And you call yourself a Christian. You're really centered with me. You're filled with my Holy Spirit, yet you don't feed, you don't feed me when I'm hungry. Let's move on to the next one. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink or you didn't give me something to drink. I think about 7-Eleven, I don't know if you guys even know, maybe that's not even your era, but there's a 7-Eleven and these AMPMs, right? And they got these super gulp thirsty things, right? There's a 48 ounce drink that you can buy and fill. I don't think anybody needs to be drinking 48 ounces of soda. You'll blow out your kidneys in no time and you'll be a diabetic really fast. But they have them and people are coming out with those puppies, right? And I think, if you have a super thirsty 48-ounce puppy of whatever, and you see someone who needs some, hey, can I have a sip of that? You can't run and grab a cup, say, I need a couple of cups, and get a couple of cups, and pour it and start to hand it out to folks. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't share that 48-ounce puppy with, with other folks. It's a monster drink. They're doing you a favor by taking some of that away because you're going to have all kinds of problems when you get older, like diabetes and kidneys are, are going to fail on you. Let them have some of that. It's way too much. Or water bottles, right? We can't give them a water bottle. We can't go to Costco and buy 20, it's I think $18 for four of those little decanter kind of bottles and have those ready and then fill them with water and hand those out to folks if we see somebody who's thirsty uh, somewhere in our neighborhood. That's what Jesus is asking about. The other thing is one, one day what we did is a super hot day like the hot days we've had and we went to Union Rescue Mission so I partnered with them at different times of ministry. I just took a bunch of college students, went down to Union Restaurant. We had bought water from Costco, put ice into coolers. We said, we're just going to go around and give water to the folks all around the community. We don't need to preach things. We don't need to do anything, um, you know, crazy out in the streets. We're simply knowing that it's hot, they're probably thirsty, and we're going to give them something to drink. They said, cool, go ahead and do it. And we just walked around, and the hands, it, it, the folks were so blessed. They're like, oh, my God, it's so hot. Ice cold water's out to the homeless folks on the streets. And they were just coming and grabbing it. And they're like, oh, my God, this is such a blessing. And you see them just drinking down that water. And Jesus again says, where's your heart at as a Christian? You see thirsty folks. You don't have a concern to give them something to drink? Or you do. Do you have the heart to want to give them something to drink? I've taught at different UCs and different Christian fellowships there, and I tell them the same thing. I said, you know, you have workers that are taking care of the, of the groundskeepers, taking care of the flowers and the roses, and everything looks perfectly beautiful on this campus. You guys go from your dorms to your classes and back to the dorms, and you pass right on by them with your backpacks full of stuff. And I said, so you don't think as a Christian that you could take a couple of cold water bottles out of your refrigerator in your dorm room, throw it into your backpack, and as you pass them by, say, do you want something to drink? Are you thirsty? It's hot out here. Would you like a cold water? And then hand them a cold water. And then add the ministry to that. Say, I'm a Christian. Jesus knows that if you're thirsty, he calls us to have a heart to give something to drink to somebody who's thirsty. And I'm following the scriptures. I'm following my Jesus to give you something to drink and let them hear that and hear that blessing. Huh, different. This Christian actually stopped and concerned, saw me for once because they will ignore us 
where most of those are Hispanics, we're just day workers doing the thing here in the fields or hired by the campus, a blessing to give them something to drink. I was a stranger, number three. And you either invited me in or you didn't invite me in. Now, let's not get this wrong. Jesus is not talking about creepy strangers. We watch way too many YouTube videos and other kind of crazy movies where you think of the stranger who's got to come in and go, wee, 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 you know, kind of thing. So, oh, I have to invite them in, you know, so they can, you know, pillage my house and kill us and tie us up and all that stuff. Is that what Jesus is talking about? No, Jesus is not saying, hey, just open the door and let some creepy folks in, you know, five or six guys, you know, six foot or whatever. Yeah, come on in, stranger. No. But he is saying that you, do you have a heart to make sure that your heart is open to those that are needing a place to stay? And here's one example. Every year for summer missions, and I don't know how we, how we end up doing this, my wife and I end up having about 10 to 12 missionaries living in our house. Now, the funny part about it is our house is two-story, so it does house a lot of people, but there's only one shower. It was built in the 1920s, and there's one shower. And if you ever get off in the morning in the summer where everyone's got to get a shower, we're lined up, and it's an hour-and-a-half process, and we're telling everybody to go fast. You're still lined up. People are reading their Bibles. Uh, folks are, you know, just writing things down, looking the things up and so forth, because i got to entertain myself. I'm in line if I get out of line, then, you know, another hour wait to get into the shower. But we invite them in. We don't know who these people are. They're missionaries. Uh, they come for the summer. They live with us for six weeks. But they're strangers to us, but we invite them in because the Lord says, have, do you open your home? If I give you that space, do you invite them in? We ha I have friends who are missionaries to other countries. So those folks are housing those folks, feeding those folks uh, who are coming to do mission work in their particular towns, Right. They don't know these folks are from a different country. They're from the U.S., but they're still, it's like out of country, and I'm a, they're strangers to us. But as Christians, we open up our home, and we let them, and we invite them in. They come stay with us, and we take care of them. Uh, just another thing that, that I did, uh, God, I think if you, if you live in, in, uh, in a great place with Jesus, he gives you all kinds of crazy moments in life, and they just become stories to tell down the road, which is great as part of sermons if you get to teach. I was, um, had the opportunity to do a road trip with some friends. Uh, this is, uh, you know, after I've been in Lincoln Heights for a little bit, so just to get out and get away. Uh, so we we're going to go to Canada. I had a friend who is a, a minister in Lancaster, and he says, if you're going to Canada, let me hook you up with his family, because uh, you could probably stay at their place. They're Christians, right? It's like, okay, this sounds great. At least we now have a place to stay in Canada while we're there for a couple days in Canada as we do the turnaround and come back. Uh, and so I uh, asked him, well, how do you know them? Like, do they know you well and stuff? He goes, oh, yeah. And he sounds like he said, I married their daughter at my house backyard, you know, and so, uh, so it's not a problem. I'll just give them a call. So we get to Canada, and it turned out that the couple was two doctors. They were both doctors, Canadian doctors. They have this beautiful home up in the hills overlooking the entire Vancouver areas of Vancouver, the bridges, the lights, and everything at night. They had observation desks, decks. They had beautiful sauna. You go into a sauna room, and it has florals and ivy and all this stuff, and you feel like you're in the forest you know, with the nice hot water and steam coming out and so forth. Uh, they handed us the keys to their house. And they said, hey, we'll have uh, dessert, uh, not tonight, but tomorrow night. We'll hang in and have some dessert. Fine. We're in and out doing all kinds of crazy stuff, visiting all around, living, doing the, the spa, <laughs> and doing whatever we want in their home. I mean, it was a gorgeous home. It's two doctors, so it's a big, nice home. Well, we had dessert with them. <laughs> it was one of those wonderful moments of life. So they say, so, so how, how do you know our daughter? Like, I, don't, I don't know your daughter. And they're like, oh, well how did you get to know, like, to come here? 
I said, oh, my friend is the pastor married your daughter? They're like, our daughter's not married. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe it was a friend of hers got married uh, and so forth. And then they were like, well, she's, she's in grad school, so that's why she's not here right now. <laughs> but she's not married. We know her daughter's not married. And they just had that look in the face like, oh, you guys are like total strangers. Like... <laughs> And we handed you the keys to this gorgeous house of ours, and we trusted you guys. You know, you are Christians, so that's a good thing going for you. We're Christians, you're Christians, right? I called my friend. I said, how did you know these people? What happened? Is that the marriage? And I go, oh, no, I was at a wedding <laughs> that was held in the backyard of my home, and she was there, and I met her. I go, you met her? You don't even know who she is? And then you hooked us up to the parents in Canada, and we're living in their house. They handed us the keys to the house. He goes, well, you're a stranger and they invited you in. Isn't that a good thing? That's what he says, right? Matthew. <laughs> I go, yeah, good for them. Like, this is one of those crazy awkward moments. It's like, come on, man. I think they're thinking, you guys are from the hood. We heard about the ministry you're doing. It's like, oh, you're coming to ransack our house? Take stuff back over to Los Angeles? No, we didn't do that. Number four, uh, I needed clothes and you clothed me or you didn't clothe me. Now, I know we have to admit, like, my closet is kind of has the poles that go back, and it's a deep closet because uh, it's built under the stairwell. Uh, so there are clothes at the back of the stairwell that I've not seen in years, and there's dust all over the shoulder parts and stuff like that. There's, there's clothes and things in certain drawers where I've not seen it. I, you put it in there, you never see it again. Uh, it's stuff that's just, you know, there. So Jesus is saying, and so can you give some of that away to somebody who has a need for some clothes? And what is our response in our heart? Uh, no, those are my clothes. I'm not giving any clothes away. Haven't used them ever. I've not seen them in three years. They're collecting dust because I've not seen them for three years. They're in the drawer. I've never seen them since they gave it to me or I bought it. Uh, but it's mine, and I'm not going to give it to somebody who needs clothes. Or do you say, yeah, you know, I don't need this clothes. I'm just going to start to give this stuff away. I've not seen it. I don't need it. I'm going to give it out to folks in need. So we started doing that. And I started, you know, when you hit a certain age, uh, parents and folks don't know what to get you for birthdays and stuff and Christmas, so they just start to buy you sweaters. I don't know why I get sweaters. Los Angeles is never cold enough to really wear a sweater. Uh, but, you know, I got a ton of sweaters. And so, uh, and now they don't give me sweaters anymore because they know that I give them away to the homeless. Uh, and so what I started doing is saying, brand new sweaters, I mean, these are name brand sweaters that they probably went and were proud to give me. Uh, and so, you know, in the wintertime, there's homeless people by the church hanging on the steps. like, do you guys need a sweater? Do you need a sweater? Do you need a sweater? And I'm going to the drawers and I'm finding these nice wool sweaters and all these name brand sweaters. Here, take this one. Here, take that one. This fits you? No. Okay, I got another one. Here. Oh, that one fits you. And it's like a clothes store for them, coming to them for the sweaters and fitting them. Uh, there was one time where Occidental College was one of our partners, too, in ministry. And they gave me a bunch of Occidental College hoodies. And so I thought, this is fantastic. I gave some to our kids, but they were really big sizes. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to give the rest out to the homeless. So I just went around the neighborhood and started giving sweaters out to the homeless during the winter because they need sweaters, right? And then after I did that, and I saw one standing at the intersection uh, baking, and then I thought to myself, what have I done? Folks are going to look and say, there's something wrong with that college. It's liberal arts. Maybe nobody's getting hired from there. Because look, I see all these Occidental College alumni all in Lincoln Heights, homeless, begging for money, wearing Occidental College and it was a good thing it wasn't like UCLA or USC or some other school. Man. Like, wow, what happened to those prestigious schools, man? Everybody's homeless in the inner city. They're all, wearing from the, the, you know, they're all from the different campuses. Nothing's going on with their degrees. Jesus is simply saying to us, do you have the heart to say and the reality to say, I don't need this stuff. I can give it away. Or are we in that place where he says, will you just have a heart that says, Absolutely not. I'm not going to do it. 
This is mine even though I don't wear it and I don't really see it. I was sick and you either came to visit me or you didn't come to visit me. Jesus healed countless folks and endless folks to the point sometimes where he wasn't getting any rest. He has a heart to say, I want to, to heal the sick. It's what I am built to do. It's my heart to do that. So you as Christians have to have a concern about those that are sick. If you walk deep enough with me in my spirit, then the Holy Spirit will start to enable you to actually pray for the sick, and I will heal them through you. But if you're not there yet, at least, at least I'm looking and saying, do you have a heart to go and visit someone who's ill? Do you bring a little cup of soup? Can you just sit next to them for a little bit, read some scriptures and pray for them? Uh, you know, anything that brings that just healing touch. I've been in and out of hospitals, cancer, I had sepsis, I almost died from that. I've just had this other condition that kept me during the Christmas time in the hospital all the way through Christmas, almost into New Year's, very painful stuff. One of the hardest things to be hospitalized is to have nobody come and visit me. I had even wrote in the thing for the hospital, yes, clergy, come every day, come, pray for me. No clergy came to visit me. Not one Christian pastor or clergy from that hospital came to pray for me. There was a one time when I was the last time ill, uh, during Christmas Eve, a clergy person came to visit me because they actually saw it finally and said, oh, you said you want visitation. I said, yes. Can you read some scriptures for me? Can you pray for me? Can I pray with you? Because I don't know if I'm going to die here in this hospital over this Christmas holiday. And it was so warming to have a brother in there, a pastor, just come and pray and go through scripture with me. And Jesus is saying there's such a comfort of that, that folks are sick, that just to have that company, it doesn't have to be much. Jesus says, can you just visit somebody? I'm just sitting in the bar and saying, you know, you visited me. That's pretty much it. I was in prison. This is a little harder. Some folks will fall into that category. Some people don't. I was in prison, and you came to see me, or you didn't come to see me. Now, I've gone to prison because of the gang kids that I've worked with in the city. So I've gone to prison a lot uh, to visit them. Uh, it's just a different ministry in there. I've also been to juvenile hall. I've been to the courts for some of our kids that are in juvenile hall. I visit kids in juvenile hall. I've been issued and awarded kids from PO, parole officers, to watch over, to you know, mentor, to do the service events and stuff like that, or service hours for them. I've been with families. I had actually had custody of one girl uh, who basically assaulted her mother, couldn't be in the home, so the court actually gave her over to me to take care of for the year for her to become 18. Uh, and the family was down the street, so they were part of that, but obviously to keep it safe uh, and so forth. Uh, but in the midst of visiting folks in the prison is a long work. Uh, and they know that. Uh, so uh, you drive to Pitches on a Rancho, which is about 35 minutes away from here, from Los Angeles. Uh, you get there, you go into a room, they check IDs, they pad you down, they move you to a clean room, you've been padded and checked, you're in the clean room, you get on a bus, they run you the bus into the prison, you get to another room, they do the same procedure, go through all the rules of what you can or cannot do, they pad you down again, go through the whole process, screen your IDs, all that stuff, okay, they move you into the actual visiting room, the folks come out, you get to talk for 20 minutes, then they call and say, that's it, visiting hours are over, all the inmates have to take off. You go back to the room, they pat you down, make sure you didn't get anything exchanged from that person. Uh, you go through a process, wait, get on their shuttle bus, their bus takes you back to the front, they get the ID checks and all this stuff, you get in your car, and you come on back. It's been about two hours to have 20 minutes with an inmate. And they know that, and they appreciate that, and it's valuable to them. The first person that a lot of my gang youth would come to see when they got off the bus and they were released was me. And they would say, because 
I just appreciate that you came to see me, but not only you came to see me, you brought my mother out, and I know all the work that it took you just to have 20 minutes with me, and I treasure that, and that you took my mother out to see me, and you did all that work to have 20 minutes of her to see me, and my sister to see me, and I value that. It's so such a treasure to my heart and a testimony because they became Christians. Uh, so for them, became a Christian testimony of them. And I know pastors and partners in, in gang intervention programs and so forth who were in prison. And because people visited them and read scriptures with them and handed them Bibles, they became Christians and pastors and now leaders back into the inner city to get other kids to come out of gangs and not get into gangs. But their brothers and sisters in Christ, so their testimony goes with that. It would not happen that way or be that for them had not Christians gone to prison to visit them. So Jesus also says that's a valuable piece. Jesus' call to come follow me includes to follow him to the fullness of what his heart is. Is to say, if you're following me, if you're going to be Christ-like, then you're going to be Christ-like. Then look at the scripture to see what was I busy doing. I'm healing the sick. I'm with the masses. I'm with the poor. I'm visiting the homes of the poor. I'm working to get the demonically possessed, uh, get those casted out of them. I'm a, a, a Lord who loves people. I'm feeding thousands and thousands of a crowd who has a passion to come and, and listen to my word. It's what I do. And so if you're following me, the invitation to come follow me is to say, let your heart align itself with my heart to have the same passion and compassion for those in need that I do as your God and your Lord. That's all he's asking. And the Lord Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he did not take his disciples to some Hilton spa for the three years that he was with them. He did not take him out to some mountain range and get him away from all of society so they could become centered and meditate them for three years with Jesus. He did not take him and say, I'm going to take you into Hebrew school that I'm going to teach so that you guys can become the next Pharisees to replace the jerks that are the Pharisees now that are going to actually plot to kill me. Jesus said, I'm taking you with me to the masses, to the folks in the alleyways and the streets, to those that are suffering, those that are poor, the blind, the lame, all of the sinners and tax collectors, so that you can then see and witness what I do, so that your heart will be transformed to do likewise if you're going to be Christian. That means like me, like Christ, and your heart will follow to do the same work because that's what I'm charging you, the church, and you as Christians and disciples to do. And so it is that the Lord Jesus calls us to do that. Now, for, for closing, um, scriptures and passages are to challenge us as Christians. Uh, so the Lord gives us his words to challenge us, right? And that's what he's doing here today. He's challenges. And the challenge is always for us then to examine ourselves. It's for us to look and say, ooh, Lord, that was, that was interesting, sometimes a little harsh, or seems really challenging to me when you talk about, you know, food for the hungry, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a good place for us as Christians to look and say every time we get the word to say, hmm, I'm going to just reflect on that. And then if it's challenging me, Lord, then I move to a place of saying, Lord, then help me to align myself with you and with your word and help me through your Holy Spirit to become someone who is like you in that way, to be able to do the things that we know are pleasing to you but also that are the center of your heart because everything in my walk is to get closer to be more like you, Jesus, and to walk more tightly with you. Help me to do that. And so maybe that is what we need to do today. The other piece that, that Jesus is actually moving us is to say, if you don't live in a place 
where there are the folks that are hungry in need of food, thirsty in need of drink, et cetera, et cetera, then that means as Christians, we need to then be aware of where those folks are and then go to them. Jesus did not wait for everybody to come. I'm going to sit here in the synagogue or, you know, and, and wait for the masses to come to me. I'm going out. I'm going to go out to serve them. And just a little bit too to know it's that there are uh, 800 million folks right now who are starving and malnutritioned in the world. Almost 1 billion. 800 million. There are plenty of folks out there in our world who are hungry that Jesus is saying, and what is your response? I don't really care. I don't see them. They're in other nations and other places. Not my problem. So long as I get fed and I got to watch my money now because, hey, the economy is not doing good in the United States of America. Or you say, I need to become aware of them. Jesus, help me to become aware of those 800 million. How can I then be a person who feeds the folks that are hungry? Because you call me to do that. You know, we're a nation that doesn't do that. But the other nations know that we don't do that. That's even more shame in the United States that we know what you have. We know you throw away protein. We know you have a ton of food and you throw it all the way to the trash rather than to send it in our direction. We know you do that, Christian nation. Oh, and you guys have plenty of water and all this technology. You can't come to our countries and show us how to get water from wells and dig and so forth and clean it and purify that and help us so that we can have water to drink because we're so thirsty in other parts of this world. The Lord is saying then, we need to look for and be aware of where that is. I'll leave it at that. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. Oh, God, Jesus, help us to um, constantly align ourselves with you. And we know that the work of your Holy Spirit is what draws us in. It's not for us to try to do this on our own in the flesh. But you give us the Holy Spirit to teach us things and to bring things to fruit. So as your word challenges us, Lord, I challenge us, Lord, and empower us then to respond to the things that you call us to do. Jesus, thank you that you have a heart for, um, for the least, for the marginalized. And you call us to be the instruments by which you help them. So help us to respond to that well, Jesus. Help us to look and search to see where are the places that there are these needs. And we know that we're blessed that we have many resources, that we can share those resources. Even children, urban children who have very little, have hearts to share their food with somebody who, really, I didn't need it. And so it is, Lord. Uh, we can do it. We just need to be open to you to do that. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. May it work and nurture its way into our hearts and do the things that your Holy Spirit wants to do with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.